Good morning. My name is Lauren, and I'm a member here at Redeemer. And I'm going to be reading from Micah 3 and 4. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who led my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. Oh, sorry, I missed a verse. Um, going to verse two in chapter four. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of, the, out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall be beat, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Good morning. Um, one of my hopes for our sermon series in Micah is that we would take one step, whether it's a small step or a big step, but one step closer to feeling a little bit less intimidated, a little bit less uncomfortable reading and learning from the prophets. Um, because one of the hopes for uh, you all that your elders have for you is that you would all grow in your love of Jesus and that you would grow in knowing him and being known by him. Uh, and we believe that every piece of scripture has something important um, that contributes to that. And that's no different from the prophets. So Micah, and if you have your scripture journal, we've got also um, Nahum and I think Obadiah. Um, I said like Micah is like the, is it not Obadiah? I'm just saying the weird ones um, because I said Micah was one of those normal names and then Joel came to me and was like, hey, what about Joel? But we're more intimidated by the names we can't pronounce, right? And so um, I'm hopeful that Micah would just kind of be a gateway for us to be able to see the gospel clearly in all of Scripture. Uh, and so I hope that through these eight weeks in Micah, we all take a step closer to being more comfortable with those and reading through them, not just when Bible Recap has something to help us understand, but any time. Um, I was also struck 
uh, as we were singing earlier, by just like, it's probably assumed, um, it's probably a cultural thing. I definitely feel it as the person with the microphone that comes up on stage that there's a risk of me um, not just feeling separated physically because I'm higher up and I'm facing you all, um, but there would be a sense of separation spiritually. Um, and so that, that I might preach from a place where this isn't for me too. And so I want to just like say right off the bat, where we're going with Micah 3 and 4 is that the gospel is for those who have been sinned against. Those who have experienced the pain of oppression, abuse, injustice, or even, even just like somebody being mean to you. But where I felt the most at home in Christ, the most welcomed, the most grace is in the fact that also in Micah 3 and 4, we're going we're gonna to learn that the gospel is also for those who have sinned against others. And I could not stop just thinking about my kids in the ways that my, um, my failures as a parent have sinned against them, my failures as a husband have sinned against my wife, um, my failures as a pastor has sinned against any of you. And, and it, just, it just struck me. And this isn't in my notes, I just had to bring it up. Um, because I want to just squash any illusion that I'm any different than you. Thank you. Um, but like Lauren said, uh, we are in Micah 3 and 4, so if you're not there yet, go ahead and turn to Micah 3 and 4. If you don't have a scripture journal, um, like I had referenced before, and this is, you're going to be here for the rest of our series. We've got scripture journals in the back. Uh, outside these doors against the wall. Um, if you left one behind on a Sunday, I've found a couple as we've come through and cleaned up. So um, you might go check the Lost and Found or, or the Connect table out in the cafe. Um, but please do write your name in those so we know whose they are when you inevitably leave them behind. Um, I've found that it's usually the guys. That's an indictment against myself. That's okay. Um, but... Uh, Please hang on to those, because when we're done with Micah, we may come back to, apparently not Obadiah, but one of the other prophets that is in that scripture journal. Um, but Micah 3 and 4, um, I want to I start by talking about this underdog story concept, right? The, the underdog story is the American dream. The little guy... Um, the, the, the person who's probably underprivileged or maybe um, underskilled or lacks a lot socially ends up through the story overcoming adversity and obstacles and acquiring right, the, the reward of that's the whole point of the story. Uh, the underdog story is the story of America, right? A few small colonies just wipe out, uh, win the battle against the imperial forces of England. The underdog story, the American story, this is also Star Wars. 
for those of you who aren't tracking yet. Thank you, Kale. So one thing that we like about the underdog story is not just seeing the little guy win. We also like seeing the guy with the upper hand get what's coming for him. We like to see them get what they deserve, right? Like um, Back to the Future. Anybody seen Back to the Future? Okay, four people. This is going so well this morning. Um, me and Curtis have seen Back to the Future. There's a, there, okay, Biff is the bully, right? Yeah, just trust me. And he's got a really fancy car, and he's so mean to Marty, and he tries to ram Marty with his car. He's full of his buddies. They're all laughing, and Marty outsmarts him, and Biff ends up crashing his car into a truck, and the truck is full of manure, and the manure falls into the car on Biff and his buddies. cathartic, right? Like, we love that. So we like to see the little guy win. We like to see the bad guy get what's coming for him. Micah 3 and 4 is not the underdog story. We're in danger of reading it that way. We are tempted to read the American story into Micah 3 and 4. We have to be careful because if we commit ourselves to this storyline, what we end up doing is we're reading our American culture, our American perspective, our our Western storyline into Scripture. We read ourselves into God's Word rather than allowing God's Word to read us. And so I don't want us to, to do that this morning, but more than that, I don't want to make a habit of that. So you've already heard me repeat this very similar concept through the book of Micah. This is not simply, um, how many verses do we have here? 17 verses of an underdog story where the oppressors finally get what's coming for them. Instead of reading ourselves into Micah 3, we first need to understand three things. First, the sin and the injustice that the religious leaders are guilty of. Okay, the people in power are guilty of oppression, and God calls that to attention. That's the first thing. Then we're also going to see how these people aren't alone in their sin, but they're simply a case study for the effect of sin on the human soul. And then we're going to take a look at God's incredible mercy to all people, the abused and the abusers, the oppressed and the oppressors, the just and the unjust. Here's our outline. God sees the sin of Israel's leaders. God knows the nature of sin in humans. And God acts in mercy on our behalf. And so when we look at the first few verses of Micah 3, we see God use very extreme language because the religious leaders are guilty of sin. They are sinning against God and others. Now, they're not cannibals. They're not literally devouring their neighbors. They're not consuming the people that they were called and appointed and anointed to serve, but God uses hyperbolic language on purpose. Look at Micah 1 through 3. 
I'm just going to touch the highlights there. You hate the good and love the evil. You tear the skin off my people. You eat their flesh and break their bones. Remember, um, at this time, we're, we're in 2 Kings 15 through 20 is the context for this. Israel is awaiting and kind of just like counting the days before the Assyrian army invades. They know that they're gaining um, ground around them, that they've invaded some other areas. Um, the Assyrians were famous for skinning people alive. And here, God says, God declares to the leaders of Israel and Judah, you tear the skin off my people. He's using extreme language to communicate how serious their sin of oppression is. Now, to understand, in the context of of 2 Kings 15 through 20, um, King Hezekiah who, who came into power after his father died. His father was a bad dude. It, for generations, they had let the worship of, of God uh, just fade away. And they had allowed the, the false worship of the surrounding areas to proliferate. And so we see uh, through the Bible high places. It's these literal high places, the hills, where they would worship and sacrifice false gods. They believed that these were kind of touchdown points Um, between heaven and earth. And so that's where they would um, sacrifice to these false gods. Hezekiah brought back true worship of God into Judah. And so God blessed Judah with economic prosperity as a way to keep his end of the covenant, remember? If you worship me, if you obey me, I will bless you. And so Israel and Judah saw a little bit of economic prosperity, God warned in Deuteronomy 8, hey, when you get into the land and things start to go well for you, and don't get too comfortable, don't get greedy, don't want more and more because it will lead you into sin. Instead, take care of the people around you. Start to welcome in the sojourner, the traveler, the foreigner. Start to be a place of refuge. That's not what happened in 2 Kings 15 through 20. What we see in the life of Judah is that the religious leaders got greedy. They actually confirmed the warning from Deuteronomy 8. They got greedy, and not only did they get greedy, they took it so far as to where they started to take from the people who didn't have. They started to oppress their neighbor. And they were charging, we read in verse 11, they were charging for the religious duties that they were called to serve. This is wickedness. And and need I point out, this is, is the wickedness and the evil of the prosperity gospel. That God says, follow me, be close to me, know me, obey me in love, and you'll get the blessing of being with me. He does not say, so into this ministry and you'll reap back a hundredfold. There, there are biblical commands of generosity, but the prosperity gospel has nothing to do with the generosity of the Holy Spirit moving through the church. 
It has everything to do with the oppression of the people who already don't have. We have to call that out for what it is. The blessing of the gospel is not more stuff here. It's the presence of Jesus. It's eternal redemption with God forever. What makes injustice such a serious sin is that it rejects the image of God in other people. Injustice and oppression devalues the equal value that God designed every person to have. It says, you're less than human, so I can take advantage of you. You're not like me, so I can treat you like an animal. You're merely a creature. It's a rejection of the image of God given to all humanity in creation, but it's also a rebellion against the authority and the design of God Almighty. Injustice, oppression, abuse is sin against God and against neighbor. And so the outcome of this story, what we see in Micah 3, is that God does judge the greedy. And and he sends them into exile. He turns them from powerful leaders that he called and appointed, and then he moves them into a season of where, okay, now they're slaves. And there's some pretty vivid language being used in Isaiah, who is a contemporary to Micah, but also Amos talks about, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull you along into exile with hooks. So you can see the, the, the concept that God brings up throughout scripture. Um, Jesus says, um, humble yourselves and you'll be exalted, but exalt yourselves and you'll be humbled. So this is, is the words of God played out in real life. Thankfully, we aren't responsible for vengeance. Now, I know some of us would like to be. Um, Romans 12, 19 encourages us with the same, the same thing. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. That's a hard command for some of us sometimes. It is for me. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine I will repay, says the Lord. And what we need to understand in this is is that vengeance will come. Retribution for wickedness will come. It may not come when we want. It may not come how we want. We may have to wait. Which, like, if you're a Christian, another name for Christians is those who wait. I feel like that's all we do, right? We wait. Retribution is promised, but we have to wait for it because we wait on God because he's the perfect judge. He's the only one that can actually give the right punishment for the right crime. But we may have to wait even until the end of all our days. That's hard, right? 
But not only do we have a mighty God who will stand up for the oppressed, we also have a comforter in Christ. We have a comforter in Christ because he knows what that oppression and injustice and abuse feels like. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was spat on and mocked. He was stripped naked and hung on a cross and shouted at, hey, if you're God, then save yourself. Jesus knows what it feels like to be the victim of persecution and oppression and injustice. So if this is your story, if you have experienced this kind of pain and suffering, let me just comfort you. You have a friend in Jesus. He sees you. He knows you. And he acts on your behalf. He steps in for you. He's come to you. So you're free to go to him. You're free to pray to him. You're free to turn to him and learn from him in his ways and his paths. You're also free to invite in your Christian community into these spaces, this this vulnerable space of telling that part of your story so that, that the spirit of Christ in them can encourage you with the gospel. Micah 3, 5 through 12, the second portion um, of Micah 3, describes uh, what happens to these religious leaders. Now, we've learned in um, chapters 1 and 2, and then this first part of chapter 3, that there's been a rebuke, right? So chapters 1 and 2, it's not like we read these week after week. Uh, Some of us, we may have read this in one sitting. Micah preached these over time. The religious leaders got rebuked before they went into exile. God offered them an opportunity to turn, and they didn't. And so we see what happens when these religious leaders don't repent, don't turn from their oppression, don't turn from their greed. It it turns them into confused, blind, darkened people. This second portion, verses 5 through 12, explains to us what happens not just to leaders, but to all people when sin proliferates in our lives. Let's look at uh, verses 6 through 7 in particular. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. That that, um, cover their lips was not like, like I'm not gonna talk. This was, they would um, use a shroud to cover their face and it would go down. In the Hebrew, it says they cover their mustache. Um, And so it's a a sign of mourning. My sin has, has put me in darkness and I can't see anything. I just walk by the trust of the Lord now. It's, it's a little bit satirical because it's actually, it's saying sin has darkened you. 
So darken yourselves and repent. Mourn your sin. We also see in the Psalms that um, anytime God descends from the heavens onto earth, it's like he comes with a cape of darkness. Darkness surrounds him. There's a lot of connotations with that. One of those is just like the, the seriousness and the realness of his judgment compared to ours, that, that compared to his wisdom, we're in the dark. But what we see in, in the end of um, chapter three is that the same thing that Paul says in Ephesians four, when he's talking about uh, the Gentiles who don't have the law, who don't have this understanding of the Messiah. And so when Jesus comes and they proclaim the gospel, the Gentiles, some of them are like, yeah, no, thank you. That's weird. I don't wanna just like reject every opportunity for prosperity in my life. So this is what Paul says, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 18 through 19. They are darkened in their understanding. They've heard the gospel and even when they haven't, they're darkened in their understanding because they've rejected God. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart, due to their rejection of the things of God. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. That means just chasing after their passions and their desires greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We think of greed as simply, I want more money. Um, being greedy is the Old Testament word to covet. When you want more of something, you're greedy. There's, it's just like a way that our hearts are turned is to be greedy and in Ephesians and in Micah 3, we learn that, that that sin in us, that thing to want more and more and more and more and more, never be satisfied by the goodness of God and never be grateful, that's sin. And when we let that go, it leads to our minds being darkened, our souls being confused, and we become enslaved. Jeremy Taylor, the 17th century English uh, pastor, um, he, he wrote on the progress of sin in the human soul. Here's what he says. First, it startles him. Then it becomes pleasing. Then easy. Then delightful. Then frequent. Then habitual. Then confirmed. Meaning, okay, now I agree with this. I'm just gonna say yes to this sin. Then the man is impenitent, unaffected. I, I, I'm not emotionally stirred in one way or another by sin. It kind of sits neutral with me. Then obstinate, which is a better word for stubborn. Then he resolves never to repent. And then it leads him to death. Church, the good news of Micah 3 and 4 is that God shows you that you're guilty. 
God shows you that you're guilty. And it doesn't sound like good news, does it? It certainly doesn't feel like good news. To a person who's blind, to, the light stings. To a person who is, is numb, the sensation of reality burns. To someone whose heart has been hardened and calloused and now we're confused and we're in the dark and, and, and we just, wickedness surrounds us. The love of God feels like hate. The grace of God to show you your sin feels wrong. But it's the only way to receive the mercy and forgiveness that God offers to us in Jesus. It's the only way. There, okay, there's two people in the world, right? Not men and women. There's the repentant and the unrepentant. There's those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Those are the only lines of division that we are given in Scripture. We're not each other's enemies. Not anybody in this room, not anybody on the other side of town, not anybody who doesn't come to one of these places on Sunday mornings. There's the repentant and the unrepentant. And it's the repentant who are called to go and preach repentance to the unrepentant. In love, in gentleness, but with truth, with clarity, and with a life that reflects it. Being shown our sin it never feels like love. But we cannot put to death what we cannot see. And the reality is we cannot see. But God sees. And God knows. And he steps in. God acts on our behalf. We cannot see our sin without God showing us. And that's through scripture, that's through prayer, but that's also through community. And here's an opportunity where um, that grace can be abused. And so if, if God calls you to in conversation with another believer to bring someone's sin to light, you have to first understand the grace and mercy of God for you in order to be gracious and merciful as you show your brother or sister their sin. <clears throat> we can't see our sin without God showing us, but also, here's the turn, we can't see our hope without God showing us. Because we're not called to just sit and wallow in, oh, I'm so depraved, I'm such a sinner, I, wretched am I. No, Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? There's a turn at the end of that verse. Thanks be to God, it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We cannot see our hope without God showing it to us. And so when we have been sinned against in terrible, awful, atrocious ways, the good news of Micah 3 and 4 is that God sees, that God knows, and he acts for you. But like I said at the very beginning of all this, like where I stand, I, I feel more wrecked by the ways that I've sinned against other people. 
if you're there too, and maybe you're feeling both, the good news of Micah 3 and 4 is also for you. That forgiveness in Christ is not just for those who were wronged, it's for those who did the wrong. And the reality of the gospel is that we all must get to that point where we realize we did the wrong. Both the religious leaders and the people within this divided kingdom of Israel went into exile together. Hezekiah brought back true worship, but he didn't tear down the high places. The people still, they worshiped God, but they still worshiped the false gods. They're not innocent. They still gave their money to the false prophets. They're not innocent. Both groups sinned, but both groups are offered hope in the Messiah. Both groups are the recipients of the promise of the shepherd king who would rule and reign with righteousness and peace, with true justice and mercy for anyone who would turn to him, who would turn from their sin and turn to the Messiah to learn his ways, to walk in his paths. I'm gonna read a couple of verses from chapter four because I wanna get a sense of this covenant blessing. What, when we talk about um, God's promise, uh, the, the, remember the higher authority in the covenant has the promises that they keep. And the promise of, of the curse for the sin, we've already talked about that. That's the exile, that's going into slavery. You get out of the land that God promised you. But the, the promise of blessing for coming to him with a, a, a repentant heart is that you receive the promised land. You receive the spiritual blessing. So I wanna show you what that looks like in these first few verses. And it'll probably remind you of what the Apostle John says in Revelation. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. This is the whole world. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Peace, righteousness, true judgment. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, prosperity, blessing, and no one shall make them afraid. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying anymore, for he will wipe away every tear. What a promise. No more oppressive leaders, no more greedy politicians, right? No more injustice, no more abuse, no more sin. That sounds incredible. The promise of Micah 4 is that even though we are all guilty, God made a way for us all to receive mercy. The radical forgiveness of God now extends to everyone. And I understand This can be disappointing for those of us who want to see our enemies, our abusers, our oppressors 
just have a pile of manure dumped on them. Like, we want to see that, don't we? And I want to be really sensitive here. I don't want to make light of anyone's pain, anyone's suffering. I don't want to make light of what any of you have experienced. There's no room to belittle the the suffering and the injustice that any of you have experienced in your life. And and so I'm I'm not meaning to do that. But I have to clarify. There's a lot of you here that call Redeemer your church home because you experienced something terrible in another church. And I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for trusting this leadership. Thank you, even if you just show up and that's all you do, thank you for showing up. But I want to make clear that the gospel is for them as much as it's for you. And that hurts to forgive the person that harmed you is to sacrifice your right to justice. Forgiveness requires sacrifice. Uh, Are we connecting some dots here now? Forgiveness requires sacrifice. Now, when we look to the cross and Jesus forgave everyone of all of our sin, it requires a sacrifice. And so he gave himself up so that you who were abused could receive forgiveness, but also so that your abuser could receive forgiveness. This is is just how God works. Um, Jonah, the prophet Jonah, right? We, We get four chapters of the book of Jonah. Easy read, go read it. The primary message is that the gospel is also for our enemies. Let me just remind you all of the nation that's attempting to invade Israel and Judah. It's Assyria. These are bad guys. They do the thing that God accused the rulers of Israel of doing, tearing the skin off my people, right? They're about to invade Israel. And and this is a, a different timeline than Micah. But Jonah is called by God to go and preach repentance to those people. This is the character of God. This is what I mean. Our sin can't be more scandalous than the gospel is gracious. Our sin can't be bigger than the gospel is forgiving. And until we realize that the gospel levels the playing field, it makes us all on the same standard of sin, then we cannot receive the grace and mercy of God in Christ to forgive us of our sin. When we're only willing to to believe that we've been sinned against and not that we are a sinner, we cannot receive the truth of the gospel. We're going to move into communion now, Um, so you can pack your notes away, and band, you can come up. 
I want to just share, though, that we're going to take communion together. So um, if you go up and get the elements, uh, please wait to take them. Bring them back to your seat. And we're going to take them together. I'm going to walk us through just a really simple, informal, um, corporate confession. Okay? But I want to make something very clear that communion is a confession. It's a confession to Jesus that we have devoured one another. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against our neighbors. It's a confession that we're blind to the truth apart from God and we're bound by our sin apart from God. And so we turn, we, we repent, we reject our sin and in humility and gratitude, we turn to Jesus. And we say, thank you for the forgiveness that you've given me. This is our confession and communion. And and this little tiny cup and this little tiny bread, it's a meal, but it's a family meal. And the family is for those who, this is their confession of what Jesus has done. So if, if you're here this morning and that's not your confession, I'm so glad you're here, but I don't want to make a liar out of you. If you take communion and you've not confessed Christ as your Savior, then then you're actually sending the wrong message about what you claim to believe. And so I want to just ask you gently, would you please stay and just witness what we're doing? Would you reflect on this fact that that God sees our sin. He knows the state of our souls and he's acted on our behalf that that sin would send us into death, but instead he sent his son so that we could have life with him. Would you just consider that? And if you make the decision to accept that as, as true this morning, would you come and take with us? You're part of the family then. But for those of us who this is our confession, would you please join me at the table?